podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here, but he said he needed to go listen to the B-52's Love Shack. Good song. Tin roof is rusted. I'm sure he'll be back. Okay, listen. Um, while Reed hunts down his Betamax player, I do want to welcome back to the show friend of the fog and gory gamer, Matt Murray. Matt, welcome. Hi. Thanks for having me, guys. You know, uh, as the gory gamer, I feel like I'm on here to ask the hard-hitting questions. Like, did she really roll Yahtzee? I mean, is it possible that she really rolled a one uh, first roll Yahtzee? Like, what are the chances? I mean, you know maybe there's some wild times up in that house uh uh well matt i i'm thankful you're here to uh keep us on our toes about the finer points our, our rules lawyer if you will uh while we wait on reed uh permit me to remind listeners that here the fear of god we explore we don't explain except for right now when i explain that you can find all things foggy at the fear of god podcast.com things such as and especially how to support us on patreon more on that momentarily because who is this Emerging from the fog, Yahtzee board under his arm, but the one and only Reed Lackey. Let's make it a perfect family night. <laughs> <laughs> I have been beating my head against a wall trying to find a Betamax player. That's mm. yeah. Oof. Mm. yeah. Mm. Oof. Reed, did you check the Matt? shed? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> mm. there's a whole bunch of stuff out in the shed that I need to take care of. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Listen, mm-hmm. speaking We're of good. business. Speaking of business, okay? Uh, number one, if you're finding us for the first time today, welcome! No, you've caught us in our current series, The Shamalamarama. We are doing the twist all across the catalog of director M. Night Shyamalan. Today's conversation will feature a patron-only discussion of a few episodes of Apple TV Plus' series Servant. And after that, we'll discuss Servant Season 2 broadly and Shyamalan's The Visit. Speaking of The Visit, our number two business item, we've relaunched the Fog merch store with fresh and refreshed Fog swag. For the month of June, get 10% off using code TWIST. If you're a patron, there's a post in that feed with a code good for 20% off your whole order. Just visit thefearofgodpodcast.com to check out your merch options. That is enough business for now. Read. Matt. Nathan. Matt. Nathan. Read. Read. John boy. Matt. <laughs> do we want to do the twist of the Shamalamarama? So let's, uh, let's twist our way into the apple tv plus series servant for our patrons where we may also uh name check or maybe afterwards because we haven't confirmed this yet uh when matt's going to share some gaming that's probably in the patron segment but we'll be right back to watch a video on how to return a lost member of the fog for servant season two and make a visit to the shed as we discuss the visit to the shed 
where we take a dump and leave it for children to find. Do the twist, do the twist, do the twist, Shamalama Rama. Do the twist, do the twist, do the twist, Shamalama Rama. Do the twist, do the twist, do the twist, Shamalama Rama. This season, um, yeah, Reed, why don't you take us into some conversation sure. about season two? <laughs> sure. So, um, so Matt, we've already spent some time talking about it in the patron segment, but but for the benefit of our broader listening audience, um, what did you know about this show, Servant? Um, had you seen it before? And what are your feelings on you know what you've watched of it so far? If up to and through season two is is all you've seen of it. Uh, yeah, so uh, I was aware of the show um, just based on advertisement. Uh, I feel like it was maybe one of the first Apple Plus shows. I remember it, it got a lot of push when the the, fir- the service first launched. And so aware of it, I knew some kind of uh, M. Night Shyamalan uh, involvement. Uh, mm-hmm. Didn't know much besides that. Hadn't seen it. Uh, watched it for uh, the podcast. And uh, I've only watched through season two. Mm. And overall thoughts are that it's, it's, uh, it can be a tough watch. It, uh, <laughs> it, uh, I know I, my text messages to Nathan and to you guys were kind of evolved as it went, but I was kind of like, man, this is slow. Even in season one, I was like, man, it'd be like, you know, the whole episode would happen and like, I mean, stuff happened, but nothing happened. You know? yeah. <laughs> we're, creepy stuff happens. We're creeped out, but you know, for, for what end, you know what I mean? And, and it kind of felt like that. And then it felt like any kind of big things that did happen were kind of off the wall. Like, uh, I know I texted that when, uh, Dorothy decided to kidnap Leanne, that felt like the show kind of jumped the shark for me. Cause it felt so just so out of nowhere. So over the top, you know, it's like, it just felt like, uh, it just felt, felt like such a leap. And I know the show, I felt the show kind of tried to temper that with like Dorothy saying she's, um, she's trying to reverse the, the, uh, the cult, you know, the effect of the cult. So she's trying to, I'm not sure what the word is she used, but you know, she's trying to help her recover from the cult. So we keep her locked up there to help her recover. Um, but it just felt so just strange and just, just too much, you know? And, um, I appreciate some of the humor of the show, but some of the humor just kind of, it just kind of doesn't kind of work with everything else going around it, you know? And uh, so I don't, it's a mixed bag. But then some of the themes of the show are, are impactful and wonderful. Um, mm-hmm. I mentioned briefly in the Patreon, Patreon segment about how uh, trauma and these traumatic events, um, you know, kind of have a big picture and there's different involving factors involved many people. Um, Dorothy also has a line at the beginning of this season about, where Sean asked her, I think it was either season one or episode one or episode two, where Sean says, you know, what would you do if you knew he was really gone? And she said, you know, I would, I would hold his hand to, you know, wherever he is, you know, kind of, it was just a beautiful moment and it was beautifully written. Um, But those feel like the exception to the rule where the majority of it feels like the show just is creepy for creepy sake and doesn't really know what it's doing. Is kind of my Mm -hmm. overall thoughts on it. I think one thing that stood out to me and and became pretty pronounced in this last cluster of episodes 
<clears throat> and and you know maybe I, I wasn't paying close enough attention or what but i or maybe my goodwill towards the the vibe plus uh sean and dorothy uh, uh lauren ambrose and toby kebble toby toby yep toby. um was so high that i was kind of overlooking or willfully overlooking some stuff but it's it's very tv in its structure like it's very mm-hmm. you know now's the thing the time when this thing happens now's the time when this thing happens um which isn't inherently a bad thing but with a plot so with a with such a plot heavy mythological spine even though as mentioned in the patron segment we might do more pointing than substantiating that can start to to get taxing like like i love some of the more character centered episodes some of the more character focused scenes of just to your point matt let's let's sit in and wrestle with and figure out and talk through the traumatic aspects of things um but once you start steering into the skid of the mythology stuff it 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 kind of can morph what you're doing so that you're largely serving that over serving the character stuff because there are even moments late in the season when i was like i don't even I can't even quite ascertain the time frame we're dealing with anymore. Like mm. one episode ends, the next episode starts immediately after, but then the next, like it's, it's very difficult to know because, and why that's an odd, maybe that's an odd thing to say, but to me that can help or hurt plausibility, right? It's like, okay, some of these things seem pretty out of place, but maybe if they're literally chronologically next to each other, maybe they're not, but you know, um, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, rambling, but just sort of echoing a little bit of what you're saying, Matt, like I like the, I I enjoy the tone overall. I love the aesthetic overall. I enjoy these performers. Um, the, it, it, I, I made a loose reference to this early on with the, with what is possibly the explanations of Jericho is that the clock is ticking, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like there is a terminal point on, on buy-in for a, a a plot like this and Mm so that's why you can kind of see okay it's no longer just trauma over loss of child it's no longer just mystery of returned child we have to keep building the scaffolding out even if the the presentation execution doesn't quite support how big the scaffolding is getting um anyway i feel like i'm answering a question that i wasn't asked more just reflecting on the season two and some of what you were saying there matt what about you are you are you feeling some of those things or no I, I definitely agree and and it's hard to know exactly how to and i had texted this to you nathan i don't think it was in the threat that the, uh, the thread that the three of us have but um i had uh blended some things and this is why I'm, it, it's probably going to be a little tricky for me to try to talk about this i had remembered some things happening that I thought happened in season two and they didn't happen (laughs) because I've watched up (laughs) through season three. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So those are, those are maybe in the next, well, I I remember them. So I'm like, okay, they, they maybe happen in the next season. Um, And so to uh, meld that into what you both are saying is the scaffolding continues to be built. And I feel like looking backwards over the show and I'll, I'll speak from season two backwards now it does feel very much like, okay, well, all of that stuff um, going back through the past, you know, however many 20 episodes or so feels very much like they're all just kind of blending together. Like the, it, it, it's really hard to dissect 
and compartmentalize the progression of events. And that makes it a little bit tricky in trying to ascertain exactly why characters make certain choices that they make. Um, For instance, we had mentioned something in the patron segment, diving a little bit deeper about uh, the ways that the show in this season particularly begins to substantiate why Sean and Julian feel the way they do about protecting Dorothy in the midst of her break with reality and, and would and would essentially be on board for a reborn doll at all. Um, and so like, I appreciate that the work, the work that the show does there, but I feel like with Leanne, um, I'll, I'll say this specifically to your point, Nathan, in months of narrative time, one could believe that Leanne could go from being literally buried alive by Dorothy to then viewing her as like a mother protector that she wants to embrace. Right. But in real world, watching it two and a half hours from each other, that is a hard leap, you know, like, which isn't, into, which isn't yeah. also months of chronology either to your point. Like, yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and so with Leanne and with a lot of her intentions and with her drives, it becomes difficult to ascertain where she is pushing and pulling and why uh, something that this, sh- that this season particularly does that, I think I can't remember which one of you said it, or maybe you both said a version of this. It's really difficult to ascertain like when she, Oh, Nathan, I think this was you. And I think this was during the patron segment talking about the, will they, won't they, but instead of a romantic interest, it is, is Leanne going to, you know, be supportive of Dorothy and affectionate towards her, or is she going to be actively antagonistic towards her and kind of, you know, evil and, and, and cruel to her, um, which towards the end of season one, we saw what Leanne is capable of when she's kind of, angry about the thing and and can unleash a kind of a bullying uh, approach to a relationship. But then, yeah, there's just so much in this particular season that makes you go like, wow, these are some extremities that I don't know we ever go back to a place of stasis. Like the pendulum has swung so far wide. I mean, the burying alive thing in this season, I'm like, how does Leanne ever not calculate? Like, I am going to get you for that, Dorothy. (laughs) Like, how did, you it's know. funny. It's funny you yeah. say that. And that sort of feeds into what I was trying to articulate of like, it's very TV. It's very mm-hmm. things happen because we devise them in the writer's room as cool ideas we want to execute on sure. not necessarily. And and I, the only reason I'm pointing to that so intently is I'm I've uh, the, the, the series Barry just ended and I won't spoil any of season four for Matt who hasn't watched it yet or, or for you read who hasn't watched any of it, but a lot of the critical reflection I've seen on it that praises it is about just the truthfulness of that show almost from go through to the end. Like it is very, you know, it will have say comedic moments or bleak dark moments, but, but you never don't really understand the character intentions that, that produce the scenario. Whereas in this, it's kind of like, okay, you know, to your point, it's like, there's a chance it's weeks but I think it's probably more like days since Leanne got buried alive. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the se- the season is ending. And it's to your point, it's like, uh, okay, <laughs> that felt pretty yeah. serious, but I yeah. guess not. <laughs> not to mention. I think, oh, go ahead, Matt. You. I, I was just saying, uh, I think just that messy end to the finale just kind of shows overall just how, how messy the show can be. Just where like, people are kind of all over the house and Leanne's like, don't leave me alone with her. 
but then Sean is locked in this room and then he's about to climb out the window, but then the room's unlocked. And then Dorothy, I think is about to kill herself in the baby's yeah. room. And now yeah. Leanne is with, it's like people are just all over the place and like the mm-hmm. motives, you don't know what's going on. And the, yeah. I mean, just even the physical space of people, you don't yes. know what's happening. And it's, it's just messy. The sure. spatial relationships are really <laughs> challenging. It's like, really, we're yeah. all in one home here i mean clearly it's a lot of square footage but you know yeah not to mention the fact that leanne has like supernatural time management skills because like how did she do all of those crosses up i'm like yeah like i get it (laughs) tv yeah exactly but it's exactly your point nathan it's like oh because tv you know i felt the same way this is not it's neither tv nor horror uh at least except adjacently but um i felt that way watching the dark night rises like there's this one moment in the dark night rises where i forget exactly who he's talking to because it's been a minute since i've seen that movie but where he's like light it up and then the that's guy lights it scene. up and yeah it well that's the thing is like yes it gives you the big punch as the audience and i'm sitting here my brain hiccups for a second like when do you do that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when do you have time like how do you, how do you be like some some uh uh thug stumbled upon him leave me alone <laughs> I'm busy. Right. <laughs> he's just on the and he's just on the wall. He's like, I have got to finish this layer right yes. now. <laughs> like, well, that's when like, we run around the house. Like she locks Sean in, and then she has to run back and unlock him real quick, and then run back up to Leanne. Like, I mean, isn't that the only ex- she's doing it? So it's like, I don't know how she gets yes. around, but uh, but yeah. to, it's funny you mentioned that read because you're you are absolutely right, and that is a hell of a moment. But again, the answer is because cinema, right? Because and cinema, because yeah, Christopher exactly. Nolan, yeah. yeah, yeah. However. I think you can get away with because TV or get away with because cinema if you really land it right. That's that's yeah, when yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. It, it does make you forget because you're like OMG I can't believe instead this flirts with like <laughs> OMG really I I really don't believe you know <laughs> like, like there's a big that's difference a big dis- yeah that's a big yeah. distinction it's like oh I can't believe they did that or I don't believe they did that <laughs> like yeah Matt, you, that's a big I, I'm pretty sure you listened to um uh when age was on to talk about the village and we discussed season one a bit more mm-hmm. in macro and I want to follow up on that conversation because you know and, and slightly exclude Reed here just because of what he's seen and possibly knows but like what do you think, Matt, about the the baby, the, the the life, the live baby and its relationship or not to the reborn doll? Is there any <laughs> do they coexist yeah. in the same physical space or are they the same item? It, are they? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's so hard because the show is very weird about how it handles the supernatural elements you know where it just kind of sprinkles it in every now and then and sometimes you think something is uh you know supernatural and it might not be even like when leanne is in the basement and the foundation cracked my first time seeing that i thought that was like a mental projection kind of thing Mm -hmm. you know what i mean where Mm -hmm. she was like she was seeing in her head but no actually her their foundation is actually cracking so you know i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i don't know all right if you had to predict because i don't know if you'll be back on before the end of shaman marama if you had to predict is the reborn doll a real doll i'm no do they are they the same item are they the same thing seeing the doll and the baby in the same room right right never okay uh no i don't i don't think they're 
the same. I think she's somehow able to bring in and send away Jericho at will somehow, but because she obviously didn't bring him into the house because she was kidnapped. And I think Toby would have mentioned if he brought in a, a baby with her, you know, I don't know, but I know I don't, I, I, but see, I don't think our, it's will, I don't think you, you've already said the show jumped the shark for you. When, when Dorothy abducts her, like, if the show reveals that Leanne pulls Jericho out of the dark space, you know, like out of a, <laughs> a, a dimension or reaches uh, Ileana Rasputin style through her, yeah, yeah. you know, teleportation disc and grabs it from yeah. the ch- church of the lesser saints location and brings it like, <laughs> will that be too much for you? I mean, like, no, of, of course. I, <laughs> I think the show has jumped the shark many times. Like when the, <laughs> grand, when the grandfather comes up to Julian un, unprovoked and says, we should replace this with a real baby. We'll get off a, you know, we'll adopt this baby. And, like oh he he, it describes the whole premise of the show but like completely on his own and he's totally okay with it just subbing in another baby as jericho (laughs) you know it's like (laughs) you know uh, what will okay this is coming to me in real time i am gonna call that the show is going to attempt to let the mystery be about the essence of this current baby not jericho who passed away but jericho too I think hmm. they may try to pull that. What? what and pull what with it? Just like not because, just, yeah, because it's about will they be able to live with this baby as their own now? Like that, yeah. I think is what the show thinks its central question is. Right. But, and in the spirit of that, it would make thematic sense to not answer yeah. the question does reborn doll and new baby have physical connection to each other uh because yeah they walk into that room reed's got a smirk on his face try not to look at the camera not give any tells you know <laughs> well this is uh, this is shamalan you know he loves his twist so i think uh mm-hmm. maybe a smoke monster i think that's what we're leading to you know <laughs> <laughs> well it's so funny because there was a moment where i was really trying to trouble out like what the possibilities are here and i was before maybe right before full cult although actually maybe not maybe it was in the mix of full cult i don't remember when i was thinking about this um i am going well i'm not going to name the show there's a show that we've talked about at least in passing on the fear of god before where this idea came into play and i was like what if the baby we know is future Leanne's baby brought back in time or you know it's actually the baby that starts the lesser thing I don't know I, I started like, teasing out time travel it's like 90s level x-men uh story oh, yeah. right there sure yeah. that too yeah yeah cable it's cable that's yeah. the answer yeah well awesome. I will I yeah, will say that I no I will say that if, if you recall uh, I will say that like I thought there were some things that happened in this season sure that that happen next season. And so I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, I just, so yes, your, so your questions Jericho are will get will infected by the techno organic virus by apocalypse. <laughs> and then he will get yeah. taken into the future raised by slim and red, which is actually low key <laughs> Scott and Jean in yep. the future who got ported to the future. He'll, he'll be raised as a warrior and his clone <laughs> will, he'll, he'll get cloned. 
his clone yeah. will come back and attempt to assassinate Julian, uh, and Jericho will come back to save yep. save it all. Yep. Somebody watched ahead. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody read the Executioner song, uh, X-Men crossover in the 90s. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, that's hilarious. Okay, cool. Any final thoughts on season two of Servant? No, uh, I, I I'm think looking it's a- forward to the day when we, I catch up with Reed because I hate this, like, <laughs> those, <laughs> those knowing looks, those, those little knowing twinkles winks. in his eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, so yeah, it, it, I think this is a good place to break for the, you know, if you were going to have a break in the show at all, like season two is, is, is a good spot to do so. Give it a little breather. We'll come back in at the end of our se- little mini series that we're going to be doing um, for the next few weeks on the show and then be picking right back up with Servant season three, all of which is, of course, available on Apple TV Plus. So, yes. Can I just ask one, one quick question? Yeah, before sure. we wrap it, do you like the show? Me, both of you, both of or, us. or both? Um, yeah. I do. So, so yeah. I do enjoy the show. Um, I what's funny about it is that most of the criticisms that either by you or by a couple of other guests that we've had on thus far, um, most of the criticisms I actually agree with. I, I think the show has some problems in its narrative rhythm. And I feel like at times it is stretched out a bit like too much taffy, but I genuinely enjoy it. Like I, I, I like the vibe. I like n- most of the characters. Um, and so, yes, I, I genuinely enjoy the show. I like okay. it. I think that um, it, there's a world where if we just stopped covering it for whatever reason, I would, I would continue just cause I am intrigued. I don't even know that I would say I'm invested. I'm intrigued and interested. Um, it will, the things that gets right is vibe, aesthetic, production, and enough, enough conscious mystery that I, I think, I don't know that you'll get this right all the way through, but, but I'm curious uh, and would probably follow it through. I can't oversell how much a 25 to 29 minute runtime does a lot of heavy lifting to get me on board sure. like it like mm-hmm. it's a great question matt if this was a 50 minute show and and i'm feeling right now mm. how i would be feeling with two more seasons ago i would be like mm, don't know that this is worth it you know yeah, uh, but point. there's just a lot yeah. it, it knows even though it is quote unquote tv in capital letters i also i i can buy in on that on that um those parameters knowing okay you're, you're not abusing my time you're giving me just enough to keep me coming back so so no mm-hmm. I, I i like it from that standpoint i don't disagree there's like the last the this cluster that we've focused on was the hardest it's been for me to just be like holy cow this is feels wild for the sake of it not mm-hmm. because it really earned the wild um yeah yeah but i love you know i love uh the two leads and I'm intrigued enough though. I'm now that I've said it, I've verbalized it loud. It, I'm prepping myself to be pissed that the show is not going to answer the, <laughs> the true mystery of the reborn's connection to Jericho too. But anyway, and I'm, and I'm going to yeah. final note on that. I am going to be really curious and I am holding out. I'm not going to watch ahead or read ahead or anything. I have watched the first two episodes of season two. So when we get through season three, yes, we will all be caught up 
and we will be experiencing the show afresh. I have not watched season four and I'm very curious, a little nervous to see like, okay, I haven't read any articles about how people feel about how the show ended or anything. I'm like, <laughs> well, there's <laughs> even we- like a special on it on Apple plus and I, that I'm interested in watching. I was like, cause sure, I do enjoy sure, yeah. behind the scenes stuff. I'm like, no, sure, I can't, nah. I can't watch that. Not yet. <laughs> <Don't>, <laughs> not don't. yet. <laughs> All yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So about this movie, ladies and gentlemen, today <laughs> we are uh, uh, embarking on our second redux episode in seven years, uh, two in very close proximity with another one or two yet to come. Uh, as we discuss today, the, Oh, is there a year on here? There's not a year on the Apple entry, but I'm sure there is on IMDb. Um, the films whose year read will look up the 20, visit 2015, 2015, the visit. Oh, what that halcyon year. Um, we, we <laughs> Two, didn't know we were in for um, <laughs> the, the summary of the visit on Apple movies is when Becca and Tyler are sent to their grandparents' secluded Pennsylvania farm for a week-long stay, they quickly discover something is not right with the elderly couple. Faced with strange rules and increasingly frightening behavior, the children soon realize it will take all their wits to make it home alive. The visit. Um, Can I give a little, since we're in Shamalamarama, can I give like 30 seconds of like where this fits in the catalog because i think it's important for this film probably more so than than many others that we do so we talked last week we talked about after earth everybody we 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 did the work for you don't watch that movie there's no point to it but listen to our episode because i think it's it, it it's pretty fun it's a pretty fun time um but after earth was the third in a series of really like critics and audiences taking Shyamalan fully to task the village though divisive upon its release and largely criticized still had its fans not just me and nathan and, and uh, like the village had its defenders even from go but the happening came out and the happening had precious few defenders they had like roger ebert and maybe one other critic that liked the happening that was it um and then like most people didn't like it then he followed that up with the last airbender and oh my god like nobody likes that movie there's I, no like you said your son did the first uh, time we covered this movie. Yeah, yeah, he was four years old. So I'm not going to, I mean, like, you know, so, so, like so, so, you know, like, I, I bet if I showed it to him now, he'd be like, this is, this is boring, daddy. Um, but, um, but anyway, so yeah, the, I mean, Last Airbender, you know, was what it was. And then you had After Earth, and we talked at length about that, you know, go listen to our episode. And so what, what endears me behind the scenes about the visit is that following After Earth, and we talked on the episode about After Earth about how, you know, there were a lot of problems with that production. There, It seemed like Shyamalan was kind of brought in, at least on paper, to be a collaborator, but then largely just was a logistic administrator on the set of After Earth. So he took his paycheck from After, from After Earth and funded this movie. And he specifically wanted to be like, I'm going to partner with different people, partnered up with Jason Blum. And he was like, I'm going to partner up with different people and I'm going to you know, if, if behind the scenes stuff are to be believed, he's like, I want to get back to my roots. I want to get back to what I enjoyed about filmmaking, what I enjoyed about storytelling, everything. Like I want to just get back to basics. And even before we get into the film that I find very endearing, I, I love the idea of like, Hey, I've been a studio shill for too long. I want to get back into really, you know, just what I loved about doing this to begin with. 
maybe a more intimate story, a little bit more control. Um, and so I love that about it. And that brings us to our thoughts on, uh, on the visit. Nathan, did you have a specific entry point that you wanted to make your way in on this after that, or, or just dive right in? No, just, um, you know, I, I, I want to hear, I've known for a while that Matt was aware of the movie, but like Matt, tell us a little bit, you know, uh, um, uh, play the everyman card here and tell us, you know, what was your history with the movie? Um, where does it fall for you in terms of your appreciation, uh, um, and that kind of thing. So, so walk us through that a little bit. Uh, yeah, I, um, saw the movie around its release, probably didn't see it in theater, but, um, you know, at home, uh, definitely heard the reputation of it return to form for Shyamalan. And so was excited about that. Uh, enjoyed it. The first time I watched it, probably watched it a couple of times since then, enjoyed it. And, um, so yeah, I think this last viewing, I kind of had a different, uh, feeling about it, but we can kind of get that into the Maddox stuff. But before this last viewing, I'd probably put it, uh, you know, one of his top movies for me, um, just mm. as like, just fun, fun horror kind of thing, you know? Now cool. I'm intrigued, but oh, yes, I am too. I thought, um, <laughs> I'll say for me, like, I know, you know, I tried to drown lady in the water. I said, <laughs> not at the cabin. Um, I, you know, uh, I love the village, you know, let's go. I, I, we shouldn't live in the village. It is a broken place. Um, yeah. but you know, uh, uh, after earth is, is the less, the less said, the better, maybe one of our shortest episodes in the history of the show. Um, uh, but, <laughs> but a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I love the, the visit. It is just fun uh it has legit scares to it um i i don't know if this might be where you're heading matt this isn't me trying to conjecture it but it just came to me i do wonder about the ageist aspect of it um you know that 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 probably doesn't read real great but in isolation as a scary movie it really accomplishes for me everything it sets out to do even and then some like you know, I, I wasn't going into it this viewing, um, you know, with a with a raised eyebrow because of our recent entries. Um, but even so, I was going in pretty neutral, remembering I like this uh, and found myself laughing out loud uh, at, at some of the comedic aspects, jumping at some of the scares. I will cite here something that's just fun and 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 portends, hopefully similar fun in the future. Um the the night we watched it, I had, I had primed my two oldest kids who for listeners are 14 and 12 um, nearing 15 and 13. And, and uh, they have two neighbor buddies of similar age. Well, I'd primed my two kids like the week before because Matt and Reed will would echo like we, we thought we might record this a week before we actually did. And so I started talking it up in the house and I was like, Hey, to the two, my two kids, like y'all watch this trailer. You know, just it's okay if you don't want to, but I'm going to watch this movie in the next week or so, and and think I think you'd actually be able to handle it. Um, and they watched it, and it was like, uh, uh-uh. but then the closer it got, the more intrigued they got. Well, then it became like the event of uh, last Saturday, um, and uh, the neighbor kids. I texted the neighbor mom. I was like, hey, that we were going to do this. It's PG 13, watch the trailer in your house if you want to, but they're welcome to join if they want to. So I, it was me and four, uh, two, two tweens, two teen girls. So four total. And y'all, it was just so much fun. 
Like <laughs> they were terrified by this movie. Oh, I bet. But but laughed in appropriate places. You know, my 14 year old is the the biggest weenie. Like she probably watched actually half of it. Um, just because she was <laughs> hidden under, had her face hidden under a blanket for the bulk of it. But it was just a really fun experience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and kind of uh, what I've been looking forward to trying to get, you know, the time when some of these movies will be a little more palatable. So, so that was a lot of fun just rewatching it under that context this time around. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to echo, I mean, I didn't have, I, th- I think this is a great, communal experience kind of movie like if if a whole bunch of people who are willing to be kind of expressive and let their hair down have not seen it before i think that's a really really fun time i think this is the kind of movie that engenders a lot of fun in that in that vibe um i uh want to pour out a little bit of love for tyler smith uh you know continue continued prayers for his continued um health progress and recovery uh anybody who knows the story knows uh about all of that but um, I remember when the visit came out in theaters and I was curious and I was intrigued. And then I, what I cannot remember, oh no, th- this is what happened. He texted me cause he knew how much I had loved Shyamalan's early stuff and how much I had really just not liked his like last three films. And so Tyler had texted me and he was like, Hey, I just saw the visit. And I was like, yeah, what'd you think? And he was like, I loved it. And he said, I think you'll love it too. He said, I really think you need to go see it. So that is the reason why I prioritized seeing it in the theater by myself. I didn't have anybody to go with me. So I went to see it by myself. Uh, it was, it was a decently crowded theater, uh, at the time, but, uh, but yeah, I went to see it by myself and I just, I just had a blast. I came home and I was like giddy about it. I was like, man, this oh, oh, so fun. Like it was so fun. It was like back to bare bones filmmaking. Like this is just old school filmmaking tactics. It's not very lavish or stylistic in a lot of ways. You do just simple direct found footage stuff with a found footage uh, conceit that actually works. The, the kid is making a documentary and yeah, they're doing yeah. it in a way that like, you know, it doesn't always feel very forced and everything. There's a couple of shots that I'm like, okay, I don't know if the camera would have been capturing that, but 90% of the movie, it makes sense that they're capturing what they would be capturing. And so I uh, just really was impressed by that. And so, and I just, I just had a wonderful time with it. So, so I was really eager and excited about it. I think I've seen it either two or three times since then. This is either my third or fourth viewing. Um, and uh, I, I will echo, Nathan, what you said that I, I hear complaints. And again, we don't know, Matt, if, if this is if this is something that y- you were tapping into, but I hear complaints about the ageism of this film. I'm not going to do a whole bunch of defending about a bunch of that kind of stuff. I, I understand the complaints, good, bad, or indifferent for myself. It does not affect my ability to plug into the film and to ride the wavelength of what the film is doing, which for me, I really respond very positively to. Um, and I, I would, it is not a stretch or, a, or needs a qualifier to say, I love this movie. I, I really love this movie. Um, so Let, yeah, that's, let's, that's it. let's do some, yeah, let's do some, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say a thing and then let's do some, that's so rights. Cause it, it invites it. Oh, okay. Um, sure. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Um, I will say this, you read, you pointed to this and what I wrote down is chamois setups always require a little setup. This one mm-hmm. is so deft. Yes. Uh, mother left home 15 years ago, estranged from her parents, thus is totally ignorant to kind of their scenario. And right. it just works. It's like, yes, mm-hmm. this, you know, it bless his heart. He sometimes just over programs his setups. And, right. and that's requ- that, that pushes you past a buy-in that, 
is kind of feasible. Uh, mm-hmm. This it's th- that's one of the reasons I love it so much is it's like it just it just asks it asks just enough of you to be mm-hmm. like okay that makes sense that this scenario would be at play um, right so so I just I just love that for it so so yeah I, I don't have a, a pithy setup for it but let's do some uh, let's do some that's all right that's all right it's just so right it's just so right that's just so Nice. And we're going to do eight rights as well, right? Because I have notes oh, on that. Absolutely. <laughs> in, okay. in Jamie Tart voice, absolutely. Um, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start here uh, and just take one off the table. Catherine Hahn. She is so good. She's Wonderful. so good. Like Agatha all along, man. Watching these movies in concentration, like we have, and seeing actors that get it or don't like she gets it she's just good at what yeah. she does that like if you want uh if you're gonna create a Catherine Hahn sizzle reel of her career her chasing that train and and her her mm-hmm. love her her yeah. happiness morphing into weeping is just <laughs> it's so perfect so lovely so heartbreaking but she's so good in this movie yeah so that's absolutely. that's a that's so right for me mm-hmm. what about you Matt uh yeah so similarly on the performance line uh, the actors that portrayed uh, Nana and Pop Pop, never mm-hmm. seen them before, never seen them since, but like just an incredible. I mean, they the beginning that's so innocent, they seem so harmless, and then just the way that they can slowly progress. I mean, it, it was just it was incredible. Like it was, I mean, just amazing performances that could have ruined the whole movie if they didn't nail it, and they nailed it. Yeah, I'm I'm going to pour some additional love. Uh, this is not my that's so right, but I'm going to pour some additional love specifically on the actor who plays Nana, uh, Dina Dunnigan. I don't know if it's Dina or Deanna, but she's astounding in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's really excellent. And then this is the first thing I'd ever seen her in. Apparently, she's done character work in TVs and like uh, TV shows and uh, little bit parts in films for years. Um, but this is the first prominent thing that I had seen her in. And then now I notice her. Now she's a bit destination for me. Like she was, she mm-hmm. was uh, a character in the um, Exorcist TV show that Fox did. Uh, she also was in a recent film that I haven't seen yet, but uh, was on my radar because of her, uh, starring Matt Damon called Stillwater. So I mean, it's, but in this film, she's just really, really outstanding. She she nails this vibe and pivots from sweet and 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 like just earnest to. Mm-hmm outright terrifying in a breath right. and it's it's yeah. really impressive to watch really impressive mm-hmm. yeah. well in the spirit of the casting we can't ignore olivia de young and ed oxenbold they are like mm-hmm. I, i'm shouting out both of them hers is more subtle for what it needs to be i, I love this kid holy crap i love this kid <laughs> he is yeah. so funny i mean like <laughs> the the video of him flexing that's a little candy for the ladies um <laughs> the i love like there's there's a lot of really funny just actor gags in this um yeah. but him working his line is it dead bodies is it dead bodies <laughs> is it dead bodies like it's working his line readings one of my favorite if we're ignoring the pop star note which is hard to ignore and, and someone else can reference it explicitly but <laughs> he's, he's, they see grandma naked <laughs> he turns to the camera and he goes Jesus, Becca, I'm blind. You know, 
What was the, oh what was my the rap gosh. name? Uh, T Swizzle, T, T Diamond Styles. T Diamond Stylus. And yep. then Nana and Pop Pop started calling him that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh man. He's so so funny. And, uh, you know, they've, that pairing, the both of them have, have been on the show, uh, fear of God. They've been referenced before because they were the pairing, a pairing, uh, in, uh, better watch out, which we covered years ago and it was made after the visit. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's really, really cool. Um, I, I do love them. (laughs) One more I'll call out is do it. it. It's so funny that they do this more than once that he does is congrats Shammy when ha- when bystanders show up and they're they're realizing they're in a found footage they're not in a found this, footage but they're, think of Nathan. I yeah. used to be an actor and then they quote Shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> and Matt just ruined it but it's a really great bit uh that just it's like the first time it happens you're like that's cute and then they do it again and it, it really got a guffaw out very, of me for sure very very funny very very funny yeah I I, I love it I I do think this apparently I would love I would love to see either version of this. Apparently, Shyamalan, when he was editing this film, produced a version that was pure comedy and produced a version that was pure horror, released one that had the blend of both. I would love to see the two alternate cuts. I need you I, to I cite that be because in seven years, six years, so you mm-hmm. referenced that the last time we talked about this. And I, yeah. now, admittedly, I didn't like I forgot to hunt it down, but now <laughs> I'm just intrigued and I'm going to call you out and I want to see that. Okay that information you, would you like me to uh not right now not right now I mean, nope. because i will tell you exactly where i got it it's the top trivia bit on imdb oh is it uh, okay cool. yeah well, so, so i mean i don't know where i don't know where imdb got it but sure. it is literally the top trivia i like how you bit. did that that was very yeah. mountain bailey IMDb i don't know don't guy. blame imdb <laughs> or don't blame me don't blame, blame me <laughs> i mean imdb <laughs> anybody can write anything they want to on there so who knows <laughs> it's like wikipedia um, you know uh any other that's so rights other than pop pop poop poops is pants pants. <laughs> that is not so right. No. no. <laughs> that shit doesn't taste like chicken, that's for sure. That Ugh. has been that's so right. That's just so right. And now, listen, guys, we've done some that's so rights because there's a lot of comedy in this movie, but to read the point, real. the to yeah. point, the empirical you know, gospel truth of IMDb citing there's also horror in this because lest we forget, fellas, we are a horror show. So if it's gory, if it's gross, if it causes you a fright, it is time for the part of the show we call <laughs> That Ain't Right. That ain't right, it ain't right, nothing right about it. No, it ain't right, no, it ain't right, no, that ain't right, it ain't right. It sure is That sure as hell ain't right. <laughs> My six oh, man. saying that ain't right. I mean, that's awesome. That's <laughs> Matt, wonderful. What's your, what's your top dog? That ain't right in this movie. Oh, I mean, when we were recording for barbarian, there was like a clear number one. That ain't right. I feel like this movie is the same. Like there's one moment oh, yes. that like is the, that ain't right. scene. like mm-hmm. pop pop. Freshly depositing because uh, it was fresh. <laughs> it wasn't sitting there. It was fresh. <laughs> Over, I never liked you. Yeah. Jumps it in his face. Oh I mean, my god. Tyler, Tyler drawing 
Tyler joins Poop Club in a whole whole new way. <laughs> and he's a germaphobe on top of it. Like it's oh, like, right. They made it yeah. as worse as possible, as bad as possible. Oh yes, and that's what he says right before he shoves that in his face. He's like, "You have a problem yeah. with germs, don't you?" And then he's just like, "Yeah," and like, "Oh, oh my god!" I gagged watching it this time around. I've seen the movie like yeah. four times. I get yeah, disgusting. That yep. is the it was, Matt. I affirm that it. is the scene. That's the that ain't that's right. It. Like we can have several others. They're all legitimate. Yeah. That is yeah. the one. That's, that's the it. one. Yes. Um, it was so fun watching this with the kids who had never seen it, and it's like, I mean, it it's probably their first true horror. Uh, my kids mm. Um, mm. don't know about the neighbors, but um, and so just the like dawning revelations, and you know. I think there was maybe a potty break in the middle of it and them like, well, what is, I don't oh, know. Oh yeah. There was a potty break. <laughs> <laughs> there was. <laughs> no, that's the problem. There was no potty break. And you know, <laughs> no, no. Oh man. That's what, rough. what scenes got the biggest reaction from them. Oh yeah. Um, apparently I didn't write that down, but I did. Um, when Becca was going downstairs for cookies, she's faking it. It's late in the movie, right? When they're oh, sure. yeah. trying mm-hmm. to watch this sniff out what's going on. Um, <laughs> Becca's going downstairs and my middle kid said, oh, Shakira. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. But just uh, generally that's... speaking, they were jump. Like I did have to be like, okay, you gotta like, you can, you can have fun. You can, be be vocal but you know six-year-old sleeping upstairs mama doesn't yeah. want to hear all this like you got to tone it that's, back a little bit because that's ironic coming from you from a you nathan because I've, <laughs> I've sat next to you in a movie so yes in a movie theater <laughs> Matt Murray, where people aren't meant to be actively sleeping you know i i can be loud but it's all contextual sir you know <laughs> goodness gracious that's um, awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, they really responded to naked Nana scratching the walls. I mean, that that got I'm, quite a response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any anything else? I mean, that, that that you know. Oh, is it my turn? I was just sure. waiting for you to yeah. cite something. Oh, no, okay, no, so, I, I, I was um, just filling the filling the time with some more than I write. So okay, so yeah, I mean, I will say, and I still jumped third or fourth time seeing this movie. I still jumped uh, under the house game. That that mm-hmm. moment is creepy. It is yeah, super yeah. creepy. And yeah. it's creepy even if you know what's happening, even if you are prepared what's happening. It is a wonderfully constructed little bit of of <laughs> fright jump scare because <laughs> the visualization, even knowing like, oh, she thinks she's playing a game with him. It is it's creepy as yeah. junk when she is yeah. skittering like a spider after them under under that house it is yeah it is unnerving um and you know the fact that it ends on such a moment of her just thinking like oh wasn't that fun we had so much fun and i'm like oh my god i mean really really worked well the first time i saw it and then yeah it was probably the one every jump moment in the film now i'm familiar enough with it that every jump moment uh i was too ready for to really you know be affected by except that one that one i was just like man Jeez, like it's still ugh, sound design, and suddenly she just pops out nowhere and everything. Yeah, it was it was great. Yeah, and it ain't right. Well, but. I'll, I'll throw back on the shed pile here that one of the 
best that it writes in the movie and what got the most audible uniform response was those aren't your grandparents i mean that oh, is, yeah oh yeah that yeah. is such a great, a great moment payoff um, yes you know and even even having seen it before and knowing you know the the conceit at work like that moment the tension the suspense um because i, I referenced this a minute ago or i was trying to with the potty break note is the chatter started happening amongst our viewers of like you know i actually think one came close to calling it but oh, it wasn't wow. until affirmation in that scene that it, you know the whole <laughs> you know this whole room is like oh my god it's great. um yeah it's, it's, great. A, it's a it's a great what night. i what i love about that revelation i mean obviously Shyamalan's known for his twists we have it in the theme song for Shamalamarama. um but what i love about that is it is so and and hear this this is a compliment it is so low concept it is not a yeah. high concept need a lot of whatever it's just very very simple if you have not been able to like to your point nathan i think you you talk about how like the premise just works naturally mom's not going to be facetiming with her estranged parents you know right. she's not going to be lovey-dovey up with them so and that would have been the trigger to figure out what was really going on at first um and so the fact that it was able to just ride all this way the fact that those people know all that they know at least enough to play along and everything else i mean it's just it's perfect it's a great it's just super simple it's just simple enough to fly under the radar it wouldn't be a tremendously like ridiculous thing for me to say like oh somebody could have called that because again it's low concept but it's also so simple that most people probably missed it because they would have been thinking like oh it's it's really like an alien invasion with the whole like given some of the things that Shyamalan really swings for the fences for that simple I'll call it elegant little pivot is just is wonderful and then just the suspense goes through the stratosphere once you find out like oh my god <laughs> the situation that these two kids are in right now yeah. oh my god it's great it's great yeah and and from the parent perspective like i can't imagine mm-hmm. being on her side of things your kids are hours away you can't get a hold of the police they're with oh, people god. you have no idea who they're with and so i mean i i just can't imagine from that perspective how oh, insane that would god. be yeah no joke I'm going to throw well, one I, more that ain't right in there, but you go you you respond do, to this. No, all I was going to say is I don't, I don't remember picking up as tangibly the first time as I did this time around. Like there is an active narrative with the old people. Like he says yes. like the, the deep darkies, the, the mm-hmm. planet mm-hmm. they name, like that becomes, he, he articulated late by the end in a way that I was like, Oh, sure. I don't remember that being right. Like their whole thing, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. The other that ain't right, I'm going to throw on there because it's just, and and this is something that the film's energy can easily steamroll over, but it, it, it landed for me this time around, or I felt it more acutely this time around, is obviously the, the not, to, not to bring everything heavy, but the film is so propulsive that it's easy in the moment to lose sight of, holy cow, uh, Becca was hoping to meet and establish a relationship with her grandparents. And she just found their bodies. Like, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's really easy because of the energy of the film to just, for it to just completely steamroll over all of that. And, uh, same sense, really freaky when they open the door and find like 
Sarah hanging yeah. from the tree. Yeah. Where it's like you, you kind of knew why well, maybe you did or didn't, but it's like you kind of knew that they, they they deliberately call out, I didn't see Sarah leave. Okay, fine. So so we're still floating by. Maybe something happened to Sarah. Like, yeah, but that doesn't take on the sheen that it does until you realize like who these people are. Right. That it's just kind of like, oh my God. But but yeah, it's it it it's easy to just again get lost in the the suspense of the moment and the 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 propulsive nature of the threat itself uh to lose a little bit of the gravity of what they've just realized and what they're having to come to terms with in real time which is re- like remarkably heavy when you think about it um I mean, so yeah talking about heavy did you hear the reference that the pop pop makes about nana's kids yeah yeah I mean, goodness that's gracious. why they, yeah that that's why that they the were first time too yeah sure yeah that that's uh, why they were probably in an institution i'll give a, a honorable mention real quick um besides the opposite poop face uh the <laughs> rocking chair scene is just mm. perfectly executed laughing you know it's before you see the context the laughing sounds innocent and then she's just staring at the wall and then uh, just her little monologue and then uh, with the scarf. I mean, yeah, it, uh, just perfectly executed. Perfect. And then the performance, like we talked about, I mean, just oh, man. nailed it. Just sw- swimming between, you know, creepy to innocent. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Yeah. Oh, Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> <laughs> well, fellas, listeners, did you squirm? Did you wince? Did you squint your eyes real tight? It was probably because of what we around here call that ain't right. Sure as hell ain't right. So Matt, you've 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 tantalized us. You have <laughs> you know intrigued us with your opening concern. And so I'm just kind of curious, uh, kind of what what because I think what you said effectively was had a lot of affection for it until this viewing. What what sort of changed upon this viewing for you? Yeah, um, I don't know why this viewing, but just didn't sit right with me. And it's it's a common um issue people have raised about horror movie in general uh just about kind of the uh the villainization of mental illness um mm-hmm. because just watching it um you know it, things obviously take a turn to where they become dangerous but to a certain point it's just these people who are suffering from you know sundowning is a real thing like people do suffer from it and, and it's kind of uh you know the kids are scared of old people with mental illness acting strange you know what i mean and and they even have like sympathy and compassion and uh they're almost punished for having that you know because they kind of Mm. gave them the benefit of the doubt and then it ends up not being good for them you know and so uh just this idea of mental illness you know like i said being villainized especially Mm -hmm. when you look at the numbers uh how many uh people with mental illness are actually violent it's it's such a small number compared sure. to how it's portrayed in media, you know? So, you know, for whatever reason this time, it just, it just didn't sit right with me. Just, uh, some of it. And, and there's, they're suicidal and they're, uh, you know, I don't know. It just, it just felt a little odd to me. Something that I wrestle with a lot is number one, most people who suffer from mental illness, categorical statistical, cold, hard fact, are more likely to be the victim of a violent crime than the perpetrator of a violent crime. That is a cold, hard fact. Um, and where my brain sort of hiccups about that is the, the, the people who have done 
truly heinous things, the big, the big bads of true crime. I'm not an expert on this subject, but I think of the, the Charles Mansons of the world. I think of the Jeffrey Dahmers. I think of, you know, there, there is a certain psychosis that they have present in them that I think is really important that we compartmentalize the difference and not like, basically, here's what I'm getting to. I get frustrated that when it has so many different ranges and complexities to it, that the, that the word mental illness gets thrown out so much. And I think to your point, Matt, it's, it's reductive when it's used as a tropic function in horror in the sense of an undefined or a poorly defined sort of very specific category, because I don't find it offensive to explore, you know, people who clearly, and this is, this is a, a, a mental dis, you know, uh, disassociation that deserves care and, and deserves some respect and some, and some treatment, but the inability for a person to discern what's right and wrong, therefore transacting to them doing violent things is also a real thing in the world. And that is very, very different, profoundly different from the literal avalanche of other complex things that get brushed up under mental illness, as it were, because there's Can you so say that? Many different- Can you say that again? A little bit. Yeah. What was the distinction you're drawing? The distinction is that like, okay, so if somebody has lost their touch with a moral center of right and wrong. Therefore, they do not feel remorse or guilt when they have done a violent thing. I'm talking about the people, you know, like, sure. The, yeah. You know, the Zero Jeffrey Dahmers of the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. They, they, but that is a legitimate mental illness. It is one. It is, it is one legitimate mental illness wherein somebody loses their grip of their moral center and they no longer feel an emotive response to these these violent things um or sometimes you know variations on that and what what frustrates me matt didn't just do this but i'm actually agreeing with matt in the way that this all gets lumped together is that then it's like because that's scary and yes don't don't get me wrong that's scary but because that's scary then a whole bunch of other things get lumped in with that and i think that's a fault on our language when we discuss the stigmas around mental health, mental well-being, the importance of the the science and the studies that have been done to bring us to this point, um, and all of the things that we know that we didn't know before, I, I, I find it very unfortunate that it, it largely gets lumped up in this big snowball of, well, we need to talk about mental illness. Well, yes, we do, we do <laughs> but I think it's a big enough subject with enough diversity in it that we really need some better, more defined specific areas of how we talk about it because it all gets, it all gets lumped in together. And I don't think that's, that's right that we do that. Um, I, I don't in my pocket have a better way to proceed with that, you know, specificity. Um, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on trying to find better, and more granular specificity to talk about a psychopathic tendency to do violence without remorse, ver- which is a real thing versus, I mean, God, so many, I don't want to start naming them because I, you know, I, d- I don't want to be glib or disrespectful about it, but there's such a wide and multitudinous array of different things that people struggle with from things that are uh, relatively easy to manage to things that are 
terribly crippling. And it all just gets lumped up into this pervasive fear of them going to do something dangerous or violent or harmful when to the point that you made, Matt, that statistics show that is vastly not the case, like it, profoundly not the case, um, that they are much more likely to be taken advantage of, much more likely to be harmed themselves than to do harm to other people. Um, but it's because Matt, we're just it, ignorant. It's, it, it, it ultimately is no real thing if, if not the case, but um, I'm thinking back on these Shamalamarama entries and how I have this tendency to be like, you know, what would fix this for me, you know, which is real haughty <laughs> and slightly elitist of me. But, you know, I guess as you've assessed this, I don't know how recently this viewing was for you, but as you've assessed it, is there a, is there an unlock for you of like, Hey, if only, cause it's one thing to say, just don't do it as mental illness. But like, what does that mean story-wise to you? Like, how is there a way into this particular style of story that you've pondered that would have been more palatable to you? Yeah, it's hard to say. Um, I mean, you know, like I said, I've, I've seen the movie multiple times before and it never really um, hit me this way as it did this time. And so I'm not sure why exactly, but it does feel like it's kind of baked into the premise where it's sure. like, yeah, you know, up until they take that turn to where they become violent and aggressive up until that <laughs> point, it's just, they're acting strange and the movie is, uh, adding a level of danger and creepiness to them acting strange, you know, her sundowning, right. his inconsonance, you know, all these things are, are, you know, real mental things that people have. And, um, you know, in real life, that would be it. But in this movie, of course it ratchets it up, but then it does feel like kind of connects those things a little bit to where, um, you know, the, the, the actual, you know, struggles people have, and then relating it to the murdering and the, uh, you know, aggression. So, yeah, you know, I think it's baked into the premise, so I don't think there's necessarily a fix. And I don't know why, like I said, I, I watched it without those well, ideas. And, but this time and to be fair, I don't want so. you to feel uh, in the event you are, I don't want you to feel defensive because I, I kind of agree yeah. with you just sort of empirically yeah. that objectively speaking, there is, there is a, 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 what is baked in has a, a, um, a note to it. That's, that's unfortunate. And, and that, that is where, you know, read you and I just over the years have talked about, you know, older films that, that, you know, um, may have similar sort of uh, structural problems that, sure. that make them not have aged well, even if the final product is enjoyable or worthwhile. Sure. And, and that's, that's, what's kind of hard with this is it's like, man, it is such a good setup and mm -hmm. trying to figure out, okay, well, what, because even as you were talking or sort of I was noodling on, you know, what even conceptually could you do? And I guess the only thing, you know, you could still do the they're older people, but are they in full faculty of themselves? And that's a different tone and flavor, which could work maybe. But yeah, I mean, to your point, Matt, it's it's kind of the the premise is the things working together, not necessarily yeah, right. something you can right. easily just, you know, kind of plug and play elsewhere. And I, at, at the risk of putting my neck out there in a way that I, I, I'm going to invite pushback, not only from the pair of you, but from others who listen to this episode, because this is something that I'm to a degree tossing out there, uh, hopefully in a spirit of humility of saying like, Hey, you know, I, I I'll just say the thing, um, is just, I do find myself questioning slash 
maybe a little frustrated, but frustration is not the primary emotion. You know, genuine sort of confusion or or um, anxiousness is is the emotion I feel about. You know, uh, horror as a genre provides us a platform through which we can take these things to their extremities, and there is a really delicate balance between are you perpetuating a stereotype or are you transacting some form of catharsis against a stereotype? And I do think that's a very delicate balance. One of the things that I, you know, even as we're talking about like, okay, well, I'm thinking of this for a second as a writer. If I'm a writer sitting down and be like, okay, well, this is perhaps a bit ageist and and perhaps a, a bit disrespectful to mental illness. And so then if you begin to bake things into that to soften that, eventually you don't have them as murderous people and eventually and then it's just like okay well what well right what are, yeah what are we doing at this point you know and and there is a there and and here's the potentially controversial statement which again i'll stick my neck out a little bit but hopefully we'll do so in a spirit of genuine curiosity it's like at a certain point i kind of i kind of don't mind i don't mind art being a little dangerous to that degree and like pushing on those buttons because what I have experienced is something of an empathy machine. I do not feel, I do not walk away from the visit feeling afraid of older people. I do not walk away from the visit feeling more afraid of the subject or the, the, the people in my life who have a struggle with mental illness. I don't walk away from the visit feeling any different or worse about them. So for me, this is a very sort of heightened, fantastical kind of thing that provides a bit of, a, of an emotional catharsis. And I don't want to be dismissive to people who would say, oh, well, it further perpetuates a stereotype. I think that's real. That's a real conversation that we have to have. But at the same time, I don't know that I necessarily need every film I watch or every book I read or everything to play it safe. I don't necessarily need them to. I'll, I'll say it this way. This is the offensive. I don't need them to be respectful. I don't necessarily need this film. I don't. I'm not saying anybody else has to feel the same way I do. But I don't need this film to play safely with these kind of things. Um, and I do feel like it's different if something is actively feels like it's trying to mean spiritedly perpetuate a stereotype that I don't get that vibe from the visit. Um, but I, I do think that's again, a real conversation that could be had, but that's sort of my walk away from it is I'm like, I don't, this film doesn't feel mean spirited towards that. And because it doesn't feel mean spirited towards that in general, because again, keeping in mind, that while the villains of this piece went to extremes, the grandparents were actively working with those people as, you know, it's not highlighted in the film as like, oh, what heroes? But that is also baked into it, that they were, you know, volunteers at this facility at the same time. Um, so I just I, I just don't get the spirit. I just don't get the vibe that this film is mean spirited towards that. However, well, let, let me ask you, and this is you can cut this out if you need to but put because it is putting you on the spot a little bit here but using that right brain like like what what would the film have to have looked like to be mean-spirited to use your word you know what i mean like yeah like what what pushes past that threshold of where you find it palatable to okay this has gone too far kind of thing i think it would have had to have included and the premise wouldn't allow (laughs) this because of how few characters there are in but it would have had to include multiple comparable moments or characters of equal derision we are very folk we are very focused on these two characters who have done these two things or who have done these things and i feel like i would begin to feel that the film was mean-spirited 
if they were having broader conversations around all of those things beyond these two characters, because these two characters and their specific intention is very direct into the premise of the film. They've done this thing specifically to transact this other thing. If the film had broadened that net and were saying that more about all of these other things that happened, then I would begin to feel like, okay, now you're just, now you're just kind of punching down on that yeah. as a, as an entire othered people group. I right. don't feel that way because we are dealing with two specific characters who had two, who, uh, I keep saying two because there's two of them, but they had yeah. very specific motivations, a very specific goal, and that is baked into the premise that does not reflect broadly to me on old people or mentally ill people because these are, it's the same way I feel about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Because Norman Bates is the way he is, I don't feel that Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho is making a statement about all of the people like that who fit those those parameters. I don't feel that way. Um, sure. I feel like art gets irresponsible, grossly irresponsible, when it begins to overgeneralize and begins to overstereotype. And I feel like this film is more specific than that. Is it worth a conversation that it could be perpetuating those stereotypes? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to kick and scream and, and plant my flag and say, no, it's absolutely not. But I do feel like, like art... Uh, gets into more dangerous territory when it overgeneralizes and when it over broadens that. And I feel like this film is too specific to to fully land that indictment for me. That's yeah. speaking for myself. I think it would be interesting if uh, an alternate version of the movie, if all the creepy stuff happened, but then it never went to the point of violence. It sure. would be interesting to see how that played out. Like, uh, because um, I feel like because in the end they're violent and they're uh, dangerous, it mm -hmm. almost feels like it excuses some of the way the movie treats them in the beginning. But then if, if it sure. comes out that they are actually harmless in the end, like I wonder if maybe that would have seemed uh, mean spirited mm -hmm. or, or punching down. It's a very good of, point. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah that, yeah. Is, yeah. that is a very good point that it's like, because they go to such extremes at the end, um, it doesn't necessarily absolve poor treatment in the first 40 minutes of the movie, but to your point, Matt, it's like, okay, well, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've really gone over the deep end with where these characters right. were before. And it would feel more like it was making tasteless jokes if all of that stuff was still in there, but then we didn't go ahead and cross over to the extreme, which again, I know right. I've talked a lot, but which again, that, uh, you know, maybe you didn't mean to do this, but that kind of affirms my point of like, we're dealing with horror. And so, like, it, it kind of the fact that it goes to the the dangerous place and goes to the extremity is actually a release valve for me to say, like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, we're we're dancing in clear fantasy, like that's what we're you know right. that's that's what we're operating in, um, and that helps it. If it was more normalized or if it was more uh, grounded, I feel like it would it would be more uh, overtly detrimental, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I as I'm kind of processing too, like I, I think the tension we're identifying is real and, and, and sure and worthy of the discussion we're having. And one thing I like about it is I'm pretty sure we didn't dance too much on this idea in our first conversation. So that's always good. I think but, you're right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think read the point you're trying to make that I think has validity is the problem would come. The problem would be more profound if intentionally or not, it felt representative, right? Like, right. Right. Like these are a sample of what these people are like. Right. Fill in your blank on these people. 
Whereas this particular slice of story feels just singular and and isolated and narrow in its focus. I I don't know that that completely wipes away some of those notes, but, but I can, I can recognize it and see it. And, and it does make it hard because to my point, I just think it's such a strong pulpy, just kind of narrative conceit you're like 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 yeah. the writer who stumbles on this idea is like oh sweet you know i mean it's just <laughs> yeah. really right yes yeah you know. it's just a really fun yeah kind of, almost sort of throwback in its in its styling yeah no I, I i i totally agree and i and i love the way you put that i i do feel like the it is not it doesn't come off as this is what these people are like it i don't get that vibe from the film at all um it is very much what these two characters are like, and that's a real conversation. Um, I know we're I know we're winding down, but um, and, and this is going to feel like a really really hard pivot. But I just we don't even need to necessarily talk about it very much. I just I wanted to pour some love on. I genuinely teared up. I knew it was coming. I knew it was going to happen. But the way uh, when mom says the line, and I I, I wrote it down, but uh, I just I, I found it uniquely moving. This time around, when she says, I know you were trying to get me forgiveness, Becca, but you didn't have to do that. It was there whenever I wanted it. Uh, that, that line, it, it really landed with me this time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just, again, I don't have very much to say about it. I just, it really um, spoke to me in this viewing this time, probably representative of the season we're in, as opposed to, uh, you know, any other thing, or maybe just me personally, but just that idea of like, we sometimes work so hard to earn forgiveness when it was already there and all we had to do was reach out or at least accept the reaching out that was done to us in mom's case. And I just found that so beautiful and so, you know, in, in the strangest way, kind of kind of a, a real uplift and, and very touching sort of note at the end of this film. This well, time and, and you, I mean, yes, that, that scene, that line is just fantastic, but one thing I find very moving about this overall piece is, is, you know, you, you, you pull back the T diamond styles, you pull back the, you know, horrific, uh, old couple. And it's a story of generational trauma, you know? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and you, you can't ignore the power of Becca, including her father in the footage at the end based on, because yes. because while that line the mom says it was there whenever I wanted it is beautiful as a line, it's also wrenching because what it also means yeah. is I didn't want it. Mm. I, I didn't yeah. I didn't take it and now it's too late. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that the implication of that is it doesn't have to be for you. You know, forgiveness yeah. can be there when you want it. And and maybe for Becca, that is real physical reconciliation with this person but at minimum it's internal work to to yeah. exercise forgiveness towards someone but yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a beautiful finale there is a uh and and this is again you know credit old imdb for this um but uh presumably there is an alternate ending where the kids have found in the basement a letter that the grandparents had written um and it was intended originally to be burned, but it's it's a letter from the real grandparents saying that they are proud, you know, like expressing basically the 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 forgiveness. I, I like the way the movie chose to handle it as opposed to yeah. like really piling on with that. Um, but I had forgotten 
from earlier viewings and, and remembered it this time around that it is the real grandparents who reach out for reconciliation. Like sure. I, what I couldn't remember going into this viewing is I couldn't remember if the real grandparents had told the mental patients about their uh, kids, about their grandkids. And then this whole plan was devised as a trap from the beginning, but the pop-up specifically states that they had talked up how excited they were for the grandkids to come visit. And so pop Pop and Nana seized the opportunity to, to do what they did. Um, and, uh, and, and so, yeah, it, you know, it was right there. It was, it was on the cusp of it. And um, so, yeah, which does, which is kind of, I'm, I'm glad the letter scene didn't happen because that, that feels very much in the spirit of Brandon Grafius, uh grandma says hi, you know, <laughs> like yes. that's oh, yes. are pushing hard into sentimentality. Uh, no joke. It, yeah. It's so heartbreaking also that the, so they have this fight about uh, her husband, her, who she's going to marry her husband. And that mm. causes the break between them. So she can't talk to him when she's married to the guy because they don't approve. And then once he leaves and proves them right, then she can't talk to them because of right. this feeling of shame and feeling of, I should have listened to them, you know? So it was, it was just kind of destined to, uh, the, there was in Catherine Hahn's mind, she just couldn't, uh, bridge the gap just from different reasons yeah. but yeah yeah exactly exactly man uh i feel like this has been a really great conversation i've i've, I've loved this uh i've loved revis- glad we revisited the visit i am i am <laughs> no, i've i have loved loved uh this movie i've 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 just loved um getting to talk about it with you guys thank you so much matt for catching up with servant season two don't want to forget about servant season two and also uh you know, just in general, uh, revisiting this movie, which I think is, is just excellent. Um, so, um, that puts our conversation on the visit and servant season two in the books. Um, so we have in Shamalamarama, uh, we're doing some fun little things here. First and foremost, this will probably be pretty quick. Uh, there is no Shamio in this. He, M night Shyamalan does not appear, uh, neither a voiceover or a picture on the wall or nothing. He's nowhere in the visit. So, uh, I guess I can safely say it's a zero. <laughs> on everything. So, uh, it's just a, it's a shame. No, Jamie, no. Um, but what we did, um, try to do, I think back in the day, uh, when we were doing these, we did the visit, we had uh, the metric of David S pumpkins, I believe. And, uh, our new metric wow. our enshrined metric. I know that's going way back. Our enshrined metric is that of, uh, the fog meter, the fear and God meter, which measures the, the, not the quality of the film, but the gravity of the film, the heft, the scares, the substance. Matt, as our guest and well acquainted with the fog meter, what would you give? Go ahead and give both measurements at the same time. What would you give the visit for fear and what would you give it for God? Uh, yeah, for fear, uh, I think it's, it's pretty scary between jump scares and also just creep factor. I'd probably give it a eight for fear. Um, for God meter, uh, I think we had a great discussion, but I think it's more around the content of the movie and not necessarily the movie itself, though it has a couple of themes in there. Uh, so God meter, I'll probably give it a three. Cool. Cool. Totally heard. Nathan, what would you give the visit for fear and go ahead and give me the God measurement as well. Uh, I think the fear is going to, I'm going to grade it on a curve this go around just because it's a second, uh, visit to the visit. And because of the experience of watching it this time, um, if if the audience I was with is any indication, that's what I'll base it on. It's a nine. <laughs> so I'm going to give a nine on the fear metric. They were just out of their heads 
uh, with, <laughs> with with being freaked out. Everyone cowering behind a blanket except one giving me a side eye. I'll maybe post that to the Facebook group. Um, on the God metric, while I totally understand and um, what Matt's uh, lower score there is, I think rationally for me, I could, or rather I can rationalize, I think I, I, um, the movie doesn't spend a ton of time with it, but I so deeply love the conceit of uh, the emotional threat of the mom and her relationship to her parents. And now sure. thus the carried forward relationship of Becca to her dad. Um, so I'm, I'm actually going to give uh, because it's there, it's intended. It's not nothing. I'm going to give a six on the God meter. Okay. All right. Uh, I'm going to be landing in similar places for fear. For me, this is a solid nine. Um, it's, it's still just like, Oh, and not for nothing. I didn't share this. Uh, I did show the trailer to my son to see if he might be ready for it. And, uh, he was freaked out by the trailer. So we did, he did not watch it with me. Um, I mean, so, get in the oven, you know? Uh, oh my gosh. We didn't even talk about legit. that, but yes. Oh man. That is a, that is a jacked up scene. Um, so yeah, it's a nine for me as well on the fear measurement. I'm going to land largely with Nathan though. I, though I also sympathize with what Matt's saying. I think our conversation probably spent more time with the, with the themes, but as I cited, I, was genuinely and effortlessly moved uh, and, and and surprisingly deeply moved by that line that mom shares uh, towards the end of the film. And so that, that really resonated with me. I'm going to land on a seven for the God meter, uh, largely rooted in what I feel like it's scratching out with that. And that means that we give the visit a seven, no point, anything, a straight up That's seven legit. on, on the fog meter. So uh, yeah, yeah, very good. And uh, you know, perhaps the more pertinent question is, would we recommend the film? So Matt, as our guest, I'm going to start with you. Would you recommend the visit to people? I would. Yeah. I think, um, uh, simple concept, uh, simple fun horror. Yeah. I would recommend it. Yeah. Nathan. Yes. I, I mean, to me, this is one of those you show to get people into the genre. Like it's mm. just, it's <laughs> fun. It's funny. It's legitimately scary, but not nightmare inducing, you know, not debilitatingly. Sure, right. So, um, but yes. I, I, yeah, I think it just hits all the notes it's supposed to. Yeah, likewise. Uh, this I, I I think this is uh, this would be a good sort of gateway into the genre as a whole because uh, yeah, it has a lot of things going for it. You're gonna laugh, you're gonna jump, <laughs> and uh, with the right crowd of people, you're gonna have a really really great time. So uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's wonderful. Well, thank you guys. Next week we are going to be taking a brief intermission for Shamalamarama. Um, so next week and, and a couple of really important things. Okay. We, we always tease what's coming next week. There's two really, really big notes that I need you to hear, uh, because next week we're going to be taking a break from Shamalamarama. We're going to starting a series, a little mini series on folk horror films, uh, lovingly titled what the folk. So we are going to be going into that next week, but the film that we are going to be starting with is from the 1960s. It is called Witchfinder General starring Vincent Price. As of this recording, uh, I don't know that any formal streaming outlet is showing Witchfinder General. I was able to find a pretty decent copy of the full movie on YouTube. Maybe it is still there. So just a little note that if, if you can't find it on your normal streaming platforms, it may still be available out on the internet without having to do anything uh, too uh, intensive or nefarious to try to get your hands on it. So Witchfinder General is the film that we are going to be talking about next week. My second big note on that is a couple of the conversations that are going to be coming up are, I'm going to advise, and we'll do this at the beginning of the episode as well, going to advise a bit of discretion because some of these films either include to some degree or another or deal with uh, matters of uh, sexual assault. And so that's something that we want to be a little sensitive 
the Witchfinder General conversation has already been recorded, and I think it's a great one, and I think you're going to love it, but we do want to exercise some discretion and sensitivity on that subject. Again, we'll put it at the beginning of the episode. So next week, we're going to be talking about Witchfinder General, starring Vincent Price from the 1960s, starting a brief intermission with Shamalamarama on a series for folk horror. And as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Uh, Matt, thank you again so much for being here. Nathan, thank you so much for this conversation. And uh, listeners, we will see you all next week. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media and episode archive, essays, merchandise, and more. If you love what we do, consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast, where you will unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online events, and so much more. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of TracerMatula.com for our artwork. Our assortment of talented musicians, Andrew Nelson, the Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes. And to Lee Wright and Reed Lackey for our theme music. Special thank you also to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.